Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining episode five of Masari Happy Hour. This one's going to be on DAOs and governance. Before we start, here's a quick disclaimer. All opinions expressed by our hosts and our guests are merely their own opinions. They do not reflect any endorsements or opinions of their companies. This discussion is meant for informational purposes only. You should not take their opinions as investment advice as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hosts and guests may hold cryptocurrencies discussed in this Twitter spaces. Additionally, certain Masari employees are required to disclose their holdings, which is updated monthly and available at our website. I've just shared those disclosures via a tweet. Let's jump right into it. Um, so I think a good place to start is obviously there's been a little bit going on in the governance space. Uh, we'll share a tweet here about a Solana whale and Solend um, and kind of a back and forth where the whale was going to be liquidated. And basically the platform, you guys can correct me on this, um, made the vote for the DAO. I was told that that DAO was made shortly before the proposal even went out and there was kind of a back forth, um, which is, has led to a little bit of a mess. So I think a, a good question to kick off the spaces um, that Traver posed before we got in was, do your tokens actually matter if founders, core team members, whales hold the voting power? Um, and what structure would you like to see or what changes would you like to see? Awesome. Uh, thanks, Doug. I'll, I'll start off here. Thanks for putting this together. I'm super excited to be here talking about DAOs and governance. The DeFi and the NFT stuff is super interesting, but uh, it's nice to get a little shout out to kind of the other side of the equation here. Um, I think that's a really, really a, a tough question to answer and an interesting one um, to kind of explore. It's in my mind, it's really a balancing act uh, between where the DAO is kind of in its life cycle and decentralization and um, where it where it wants to be. I think if you look at something uh, like Alchemix, um, they've done a pretty good job of remaining decentralized, uh, even with, you know, some concentrated voting power. And then you look at some other DAOs and it's, it's simply not the case. Uh, I think also when you have projects that are fully decentralized and the community does own all the tokens, you kind of end up on the, the left side of the bell curve meme occasionally. Um, and, and you get some pretty crazy ideas. Uh, we saw that with Merit Circle where a lot of the, VCs tokens were locked up, um, they couldn't vote, and then you had uh, a pretty pretty controversial proposal come in to reverse a seed investment that took place, and, and that's clearly the other side of the equation here. So I'd be curious to hear what everyone else kind of has to say on this topic as well. I think it's like a, a very interesting like, like shell game played almost as well. So kind of specifically to the, to the case of uh, Solend, uh, Kobe had a, had a pretty funny tweet where the, uh, there was a whale, you know, about to get liquidated. It, it started the whole concern for, you know, do we OTC uh, this whale's funds instead of, like, essentially destroying all sense of on-chain liquidity. And I, I believe that position was around, like, the $10 million mark. But then for the actual governance vote, uh, a smaller whale, I guess, came through with about a million dollars worth of soul end and, and just dominated the entire vote. That was the only vote that, that was cast that, that mattered in any sense. So, like, 
I guess every whale has a whale that's bigger than them. You know, <laughs> there's always a bigger fish. But like, who? Like, like, I, like, I, it's kind of strange because if you, you know, so for reference to everybody else on this on this Twitter spaces, I'm on the data science team at, at Masari, so I spend a lot of time like looking through protocols and metrics and that stuff. And and one of the things you'll find is it's it's all dominated by whale behavior, right? Like if you look at Dex volume on Uniswap. Uh, Unfortunately, all that matters from the protocol perspective is the whales. If you look at, you know, lending market volumes, uh, pretty much all of a huge chunk of Ave is just Justin Sun himself, right? So, like, you know, if I was Solend, you kind of want to attract the whales, right? So are you going to attract whales by having smaller whales wash them out? And then if whales are the only thing that matters, does it matter to you that, like, the users – don't really have a, a, a meaningful vote. Like that's kind of the harsh reality of at least what the on-chain data says. But but I'm curious to hear what other people think. Well, I like the fact that um, I think I think we're lucky that you know um, Solan didn't go ahead with the vote because that would have set very terrible precedence. But then if you think about what has happened in other protocols, for instance, um, Pop Protocol, same thing happened when. Um, it will, or let's say, um, trading on the cream market and liquidation just caused this cascading for the whole, um, the whole exchange had to be shut down. Well, if you think about it, they were actually trying to prevent something that would have turned out really badly for the um, Solana market. But then on another hand, we're also going to think about the kind of presidential that set. And for that reason, I, I feel like I feel like to an extent, or I don't know, but I think I think it was worth it that they were going to set those mitigations because it was for the it was for the greater gold. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I'm Aiden. I, I work uh, on our Intel team, but I, I think an interesting component of the Solon vote, when you look at it in a vacuum, the the proposal passed. The, like the token holders who. Um, felt like they had an opinion on the topic, did cast their votes, and it was overwhelmingly in, in favor of it. Um, and the, the social consensus around it, even outside of actually the token holders themselves, is really what kind of motivated uh, the Solent team to, to put up the second proposal to invalidate the, the first part of the proposal. But when you consider just the token holders in a vacuum away from this kind of social consensus and this kind of pressure that was put around them on Twitter... It, it's very difficult to kind of understand um, where kind of the power actually lies. If this was a bigger protocol, uh, would kind of the, the forces on Twitter and the community outside of the token holders who voted, would they have been able to have as much influence on it? And again, would if this hadn't become such a, a topical or such a large kind of uh, focal point for, for a lot of just crypto people in general, um, I, I think, in all likelihood, you probably wouldn't have seen the second proposal go through. Um, so I think it, it's really interesting to consider what the actual power dynamics are, if it isn't actually the token holders who have consistently voted in favor of, of, of all three proposals that have been uh, put forward. And I think it's probably just a pretty good um, representation that for just looking at Solend, that maybe token holder governance doesn't necessarily reflect the best interest of uh, the Solend users. And I think also... Um, I think a lot of influential people in the, the Solana ecosystem have had a lot of views on the, on the space and 
just by nature of Solon being a Solana application, there's vested interest to make sure that this project doesn't do anything that could be viewed as rash, or even if it's a separate application that has nothing to do with the Solana team or, or anyone building on Solana. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, other dynamics at play that are that are difficult to, to really quantify. Carl, I think you made a, a good point in, in Solon kind of doing what was best at the time. Um, and this maybe leads into a couple questions that Trevor asked. How, how do you fix this issue? And does it make sense um, to stay centralized and decentralized over time? Or is it kind of a case-to-case -case basis? Uh, and then maybe a final question is what what of the what's the point of of these tokens then? Um, so um, with the governor team, I didn't I didn't have me saying that earlier. Well, first of all, I want us to think about other governance. Um, well, not other, but specifically liquidity. Liquidity is a governance free protocol, also lending protocol as well. And um, we know we know how far liquidity has been on how how far how long liquidity has been in DeFi. So it's, it's, a, it's a protocol that has been designed to be able to withstand any kind of form of liquidation. And, and you look at the mechanism, the way the protocol works, it does very well without governance. It's reachable. But Solent hasn't gotten there yet. And there are a lot of other protocols as well who very likely haven't gotten to the stage where they can actually think their own as decentralized protocols if we are really talking about what it means to be decentralized. So, so there's still there's still um, there's still a lot of innovation that needs to be that many protocols are going to go through. There's still a lot of development that will go through, and all of those will happen um, in due time. But right now, um, if we are going to give a lot of powers to um, to tokens, then we want to see that everybody or want to see that um, that all the tokens are out there. And by what I mean is, um, we want to see that all, all of the vesting tokens are already vested. We want to see that. Um, we just want to know that there's nobody who is going to, who still have tokens who is still vesting. There's nobody who is still going to, um, in one way or the other, um, easily manipulate the market because we don't we don't know what will happen in the next month or in the next month or in whole next Thursday. But but uh, if we get to the extent where if we get to the extent where all these tokens are vested. Well, certainly there are certainly kind of protocols who, who actually take a lot of time to do that, like um like call for instance, that like three hundred years to come before that happens. But well, we all can see how um how how much we, we can see how much this how much is important for certain kind of decisions we made at certain level without just relying on um, token holders because Quite frankly, we can't we can't give all the power to token holders, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also an interesting question here of uh, like governance design, right? So even if a whale does come in uh, and and sway a vote, that might not be in the best interest of the community. What mechanisms can you kind of build into the governance system to either make sure that uh, that vote is properly reviewed. Um, do you have a multi-sig backstop of other industry stakeholders that do not have a financial obligation to the protocol who can can kind of review that uh, and, you know, on eight of eight consensus vote to overrule? Is that fair? On the flip side, if you have, you know, a proposal that is passed that 
goes against a whale and a whale wants to come in and reverse it, <laughs> do you want to be able to have proposals be reversed if they're being executed off-chain, or do you want proposals on-chain um, always being executed depending on how they're passed originally in a first vote? So there's, there's kind of multiple layers here of um, consensus and then execution um, and then the potential reversion of that execution that I think could be solved more elegantly for a lot of these protocols at the design level. Now, all of this begs a bigger question. Um, what kind of governance do you really want? Because, because so far, everybody has been talking about wheels and wheels and who, who owns more token, who has more voting power for a protocol. So um, maybe, maybe the question we should be asking ourselves is what kind of governance do you want? Uh, how much do you want the governance to develop beyond just um, having few people being able to, you know, um, change the direction of a vote? Or should should we be using a different kind of voting system? Should we be using quadratic voting? Should we be using um, uh, should we be using you know one wallet, one vote, and try to cut out all the cyber attackers? Should we use um, NFTs instead of tokens? Should we use well solar and NFTs? All of these are decisions that we could consider if we want to fix some of those challenges. But right now, um, as long as um, certain people are going to hold more control over certain protocols, um, in my opinion, beside beside the fact that beside what we are, the only alternative to the current system we have right now could probably delegate. And we know very well um, all these protocol politicians. We said we set up delegate system where we know we can rely on certain delegates we can speak to or um, um, certain people who who can actually think about the benefit of the protocol whenever they're making decisions so when there's a will per se in court is trying to threaten the protocol and then we could actually garner support from delegates who will actually protect the protocol beside that we're just going to we're just going to have protocols who will be prone to governance attack, and we don't want that. I like the, I, I think the delegate model has been like a decent stopgap to like some of these bigger questions because, yeah, do we, I, I think it's all, honestly, I think the, the reality is we'll, we'll just try it all and see what works as far as like, you know, one wallet, one vote, sold out NFTs, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I guess different DAOs will, will just by nature have different uh, governance structures. And, and that's probably a positive, right? That like one DAO feels, you know, we shouldn't have a governance structure. This is just a, a fee share token or a part of the community fund token, but none of you get a vote. It's just the team, you know, that's, that's fine. Like as long as it's, I think the big thing is as long as it's transparent, know what you're signing up for then that's fine and in the meantime the delegate system you know ENS I remember claiming that airdrop um, and then uh, you know like it had me uh, select uh, a delegate beforehand and and that's something that like you know is a, is a good idea is to kind of remind users that hey we know you're probably not going to be all that checked in and all that engaged here's here's a list of 10 or 20 people that you know the team likes the discord community has kind of elected if you want to stick in a custom address absolutely go for it if you want to be your own delegate go for it but i, I really do think the delegate system is at least a, a pretty big step forward and, and i wish it was much more widely adopted 
Do, do you have? Mike, do you have any concerns around uh, w with the delegate model? I, I think one of the things uh, with, with MakerDAO, for example, is they've pretty much transitioned all of their operations onto uh, pretty much a decentralized governance operations where they have anywhere from five to 20 um, governance polls uh, a week, and they'll have an executive vote thrown in there too. Uh, a lot of the parameters around the governance and the governance votes has become really granular, um, I think just in general, very technical, uh, where these delegates are now probably some of the only people who really have a, a strong insight into where the direction the project is going. A lot of the, the conversations that they have, not that they are by nature centralized, but when you create kind of these, these working groups, I think even if it's not explicitly centralization of the token holders and voting power, I think implicitly it the collaborators and kind of the voices and the people who are able to voice their opinions comes a smaller group. So I was wondering if you think there's any downsides to that delegate model and just kind of these slow buildup of implicit barriers that separates token holders from the governance process of a lot of these protocols. That's that, honestly, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought like too deeply about before my like initial response would just be, you know, it's kind of, it's a mismatch, right? Like, I know it's a little bit of a cop-out answer here, but to say, like, okay, if we need, uh, you know, if you need some technical level, uh, just abstractly technical and then MakerDAO-specific technical level to have meaningful, like, input on, on some of these proposals and metrics and, and coefficients that, that they're, you know, tweaking and playing with, then, honestly, maybe that shouldn't be a, a governance thing. Maybe that should just be like a team in-house protocol thing, and and we all kind of open up to the idea that not everything should be should be governance. It's it's fine to have like just some people control some things and then kind of trust them to get done, or you know the the DAO maybe sets up the structure to get those people in place, but then they're less subject to delegation, almost like. <laughs> almost like we're about to recreate Congress or something like that, right? You know, you've got a year or two, and then if things go unbelievably crazy, the DAO has the right to, like, veto you out or, or something like that. But, uh, no, that, that, that's a really good point. Do you think, actually firing it back at you, do you think it's almost inevitable that all DAOs kind of drift to that? Because I know the Maker, Maker DAO, that, that whole team and organization, they're hardcore, Right, like they they really go for it, and and I think we all love them and admire them for that. Do you think you know, like Ave Compound, as they mature, they're probably going to get more hardcore. Even a uh, Dex like Uniswap or Sushi or something, you know, pretend they really start to tweak in metrics and hone in finer parameters. Do you think it's inevitable that there will always be some technical high knowledge barrier to a truly mature DAO? Yeah, I, I think part of it too is it, understanding kind of the granularity uh, that you're, you want to go into with governance. When you think about kind of like a, a lending protocol, um, maybe Maker's not probably the best example for having a, a large variety of kind of collateral assets, but what, maybe something more like Balancer where you have all of these individual pools. They're like, you're, you're not going to get any sort of meaningful participation if you're going to vote on changing the the specific pool parameters and every kind of minute fee thing, where I think there's definitely a, a pretty good case for 
some sort of automated third-party resource that you go to. Maybe it's something like uh, Gauntlet, where they're able to actually do some sort of simulations and the protocol themselves can can grant them um, that access. And I think part of that, too, is the transparency of if you're going to go to a third-party or a third-party consultant, that the models and the simulations that they're using can be audited. They understand what the inputs are and, and the outputs are predictable. But I also think another part of it, too, is like the, with the, on the voter apathy thing, uh, one of the things that MakerDAO has, has done recently, I want to say within the last six months, has actually started to uh, incentivize these delegates um, where I think it's anywhere up to $12,000 a month. Um, and it kind of sounds like a, a crazy number. And I, I might be off a little bit on that number. But the, a lot of these delegates, it, it really seems like the amount of work and the forum posts and how active they are, that it is a full-time job. And they're working not just within the other delegates, but now with MakerDAO, you have all of these core groups. So you have to facilitate the conversations and the responsibilities across there, where if you are going to go kind of that hardcore in the sense of uh, decentralization, I, I think you have to add that extra layer of incentives on top of it. And delegates who are accountable seems like a, a pretty good solution uh, in that case. Uh, I want to jump in on this. Um, in terms of protocols, I think that we should pay attention that the whole DAO ecosystem is still like less than five years old. So this is actually a very, very young ecosystem that's still trying to understand how to approach governance. And beside that, there's a lot of there's a lot there's a very huge gap between what people understand on how a protocol works and how it actually works on the technical side. Many people don't really like I, I, many people don't understand solidity. Many people can't read the code, but they know that I can interact with this thing and I can, you know, put in my eats and I can withdraw USD and I can pay back later. Like that is the basic knowledge they understand. Now we have delegates who probably have core understanding of how the technical side works, or we have um, delegates who who can interact with ordinary people who, who um, are easily more accessible than the core team. So if we are thinking about, um, when I when I think about where delegates will go to uh, hire to develop, I see a system where, um, in my in my opinion, because now we are talking about protocols, there are a lot of other, you know, there are other collector DAOs, there are structured DAOs where some of these things don't apply. But in terms of protocol, in terms of protocol DAOs, in my opinion right now, we could we could have more delegates. We could have more um, more delegates, and as the as the structure develops, they are going to be replaced by sub DAOs. They are going to be replaced by by more like right now. We have delegates where people are worried about um, this person is being maybe this person is having too much voting power or having too much control. Who who have we? Okay, we don't want to like um, replicate. Um, um, we don't want to replicate, should I say, everyday politics system, but that is essentially where we'll, we'll, we'll try to try to just gain some lessons from. Um, what I see, where I see us going to as we grow is right now, we have delegates who I can give my token, who I can delegate my voting power to vote for me. And then we'll get to a situation where the protocols can establish sub DAOs around their delegates. So we are discussing with the delegates. We are not just chatting on Twitter, or we are not just um, we are now discussing with with the delegate as um, maybe as a service provider to the protocol. And 
then we're not concerned about protocol. We are not concerned about um, transparency. They were not concerned about um, um, an alternative to the person being a delegate, probably something like council system. And also council system have worked very, very well for very technical um, very technical protocols like synthetics, the graph. And um, I think even Illivium, those those systems that use council has worked very well because um, we are very, there are very specific people who are concerned about doing the hard thinking and making the choices of vote. And when we when we think about how we can incentivize those people, I, I really don't I, I really don't think that I really don't think that any amount is too big because right now we want people who are dedicated to this thing because it's a job, it's a full-time job. Thinking about how to tweak parameters, thinking about how to um, just thinking about how this protocol work. These protocols hold billions of dollars. So we don't want to start saying we are mising on money because how much have we lost to hacks between January and now? A lot of money. So we want people who are actually giving all their time to this, who are thinking critically about it, how it works, and then they are paying all the attention that's required. As we grow, as we as the ecosystem develops, we can now decentralize those people into group of people. So um, that is my opinion, and I and I hope that many um, protocols are also thinking about this the same way. Because um, if they if they really do, then that's the best way to actually decentralize the protocol from delegates to council, or if not council, then subdows. Yeah, I think it's kind of this idea of like we're speed running finance on the DeFi side of things and we're just going to figure out what works. We're speed running governance. And it, it is pretty clear uh, to me that most forms of governance, whether corporate or, uh, you know, uh, institutional actual government, it is some sort of representational, uh, you know, democracy or elected officials or appointed in the sense of most businesses. I think the core innovation here that gets really interesting is, the liquidity of voting. So at any point, if I'm a token holder, I can switch who my delegate is. Uh, so I think there's there's some really cool opportunities that we haven't seen fully developed yet where, say, uh, let's say blockchain at Berkeley is a whale on a certain protocol. They can actually choose to get, delegate based on certain areas, uh, whether it's operations to a certain delegate, whether it's treasury management to a certain delegate whether it's parameters to a certain delegate and have them almost instantaneously accountable uh, to their voting power. So they don't need to go in the weeds, but if an issue is raised, they can react extremely quickly, um, whether on that vote or the next vote to, to kind of move their position. So I think that aspect of it, I'm really excited to see continue to develop. Actually, I really like what you just said about like the you know, at, it's, your, your point started with uh, we're speed running governance and we might just land, uh, you know, kind of where we're currently at, which is some sort of like delegated representative. And then I kind of thought to myself, I was like, oh, no, I was like, we're back. <laughs> Congrats. We're back to square one, except we're now inefficient because we're on a blockchain. But uh, actually what you just said about like, you know, you rolling with the Berkeley example, like them being able to quickly switch and say, hey, this proposal is really like an in-the-weeds technical proposal. 
Uh, Aiden is super in the weeds on this protocol. Let's delegate to him and follow his opinion on this. Oh, this proposal is much more community oriented. Let's, let's delegate to this person who's like a super active mod in their discord and in their telegram. So they really have their, their fingers on the, on the pulse of the community. I think one, that's, that alone is an upgrade to the current system. If it is just a current system plus that, I would, uh, I would hope that that's, that's an upgrade. But then point two that I'll make is um, not everyone, not everything has trended to, uh, to democratic uh, representative governments, right? Like there are still literally countries that are monarchies, right? There are like uh, weird coffee shops in like Oregon and SF that are anarchist flat structures, you know, for, for, for better or worse, right? So it is, I think there is still room in the design space uh, for that kind of stuff. And then I think at the ultra high level, it really depends what you're, uh, what you're optimizing for, right? Like if we think that the purpose of a DAO is to be profitable, you know, and the token holders are most analogous to shareholders, then, then honestly, you know, Soland should not have removed that whale because you look at their TVL and their Solana denominated TVL, so, you know, roughly adjusted for token price, it's down like, 50% in a week. They've essentially signed the death warrant of their protocol because no whale will touch it again and, and whales are the only thing that matters, right? So they should have said, screw Solana. We don't care if it absorbs the rest of liquidity on the network. We can't betray our whales. If the purposes of these protocols are more Uniswap style and optimism style and it's more about public goods and all of that stuff, then it's probably a good thing that those tokens don't have financial incentives and they have large grant programs and they vote to, you know, shape the course and all of that. So I, I kind of like the where you went with, with all of that. Maybe this is a, a nice transition point, Mike, with, with your point that something like Solend being denominated in Solana, um, and I know Trevor and Caro had thoughts on this, but Let's talk about uh, treasury treasury diversification for for these DAOs um, and how that might be beneficial. I'll I'll, I'll jump in because actually we uh, we've been having lots of conversations about this recently. Just uh, just amongst ourselves, one of the um, one of the really interesting things is like. I, I don't think you can run a Dow treasury in the same way you can run a corporate treasury. One, because, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, your corporate treasury is pretty much denominated in the currency you pay taxes in, right? Like if you're, if you're mostly paying taxes in the U.S. dollar and you're listed on the U.S. exchanges, right, then that's kind of like you, den you denominate your, your treasury in the U.S. dollar. And then if you have foreign businesses, you, you FX hedge responsibly, if you're based in Europe, you might do it in euros and FX hedge responsibly, all, all that stuff, right? But then, too, like, um, you know, Uniswap holding a ton of uni token or their team holding a ton of uni token, it aligns the incentives, right? Like, I know crypto natives, if I was using a DAO and all of their treasury was in USDC, I might think to myself, oh, they're responsible, but they're not, like, in their own community, right? So, like, the community in crypto, as we've learned, you don't want to piss those guys off. So you almost, you there's unfortunately, there is a positive outcome of the DAO being a bag holder of the DAO's token, right? So I, I don't have an answer, 
but I think it's a very complicated question. Well, the first thing we want to understand is that is almost bound to happen where the DAO is the biggest bag holder of its own token. It's bound to happen, right? I mean, you're meeting, you're meeting USD. Of course, you're the biggest bag holder of USD. That's why the US is the biggest bag holder of USD. <laughs> now, um, I think, I think what, when I think about this is, um, what comes to mind is this, I think the Japanese called it the Karachi or something where, where, um, companies own portions of each other, you know? So, so, so we had a lot of we had a lot of token swaps and partnerships happening in early November into December when we were doing all the, when you know when we were tracking proposals and and I was speaking with Trevor about it and I said this is because we're in a bull market but then the moment we got into the bear market nobody was swapping token anymore everybody like <laughs> I mean, I went to I I I mean there was even like this Bankless proposal. Sorry, Bankless, I'm doxing you guys, but I mean they went to Frax to do token swap, and Frax was like, no, 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 this is not happening. And Frax is a stable coin, right? Now, but the thing is, I want to I want us to think about it this way: if tokens, if um, protocols are going to own portions of each other, everything gets con gets interconnected, and really is going to affect my back because when my when my Wi-Fi dumps, then I know Wi-Fi owns some bankless DAO tokens. That means my bankless DAO token will probably dump because they will sell bankless tokens in their treasury to buy for USD. And then maybe one inch also dump it because one inch also owns some Wi-Fi. Now, I don't want that. I want to invest in assets that are not you know correlated, you get. And that's why I'll probably, that's why I'm really bothered about the fact that um bitcoin and nasdaq is going the same way i don't want to see that happening i want to know if i have some money in bitcoin and i have some stocks and they are not going the same direction at least some give me some that's why i'm diversified. that's the whole idea of diversification right now um and that brings us back to um real world assets so so we have a situation where a lot of DAOs are just having treasury treasury assets in tokens why don't we have these DAOs investing in outside of the blockchain i mean you want to impact the world why don't you think beyond just finance you want to impact the world you want to you want to build um a very strong treasury then of course you have a lot of DAOs right now who are building who are setting up legal entities then let your legal entities own assets outside of the blockchain let your legal entities invest in and just do some investment outside of blockchain if you want to diversify your treasury. You know, maybe it's not going to be as liquid as, as it should be, but then you always have USD. So when the market dumps, you know that you are stable. And you always have some something to fall back on if you know everything comes crashing down. Because if Bitcoin comes crashing down, the whole, the whole crypto market comes crashing down. And you don't really want that. You want to be in a position where you can still fund operations. You want to be in a position where you can still um, pay your, um, you can still pay your contributors. You want to be in a position, in a very strong position for years to come, not just for two years, not just, you know, I was looking at what, I, I, I was looking at um, a tweet, I think from Banteg, and he, I, I think it's a forum. And he was like, um, we are going to, reduce all of our contributors pay, you know, because they're being market. And that makes sense. Yes, it does. But then 
On the other hand, there, there's some kind of investments that if Wi-Fi has done maybe a year or two years prior to this time, they will not want to feel the effect of the bear market, right? It's going to be a case where it's just going to be like any other time because um, it's, they're expecting it. But I think it's bringing me back to my point earlier. The old DAO space is still about, it's still five years young. So um, maybe we should give time and then they will develop beyond just holding tokens as part of their treasury. Maybe maybe we'll see DAOs who are not just thinking about buying the golf course, but also buying an airplane or buying an airline. Or maybe we'll see DAOs who are not just, you know, holding them. Um, well, maybe we'll see DAOs who are also investing in the stock market, you know, because if you are going to hold tokens, why don't you hold stocks as well? Invest in, buy a portion of a, of a public company and know that you are going to um, make very important decisions and and influence what's happening in the you know in the stock market. And when when I think about whenever I think about treasury management, I just know that it is something that requires a lot of a lot of um, a lot of expertise and. Quite frankly, I don't have that expertise because if I look at my portfolio, I can't really be proud of it right now. So that means I don't really have a very strong opinion on this. But but I do know that those that want to take the opportunity to build expertise in treasury diversification or treasury management need to think about ways to invest outside of the blockchain. That is one. And they have to think about having not just a, not just 10% of the assets in stable coins, at least think about 25%, think about 30%, 40%. That is what the DAOs who have lasted longer, that is what they do. That is why we have Maker DAO surviving, because they have died. That is a stable coin. And, and that is why we have Aragon, for instance. I think the bulk of Aragon stable, um, the bulk of Aragon treasury is a stable coin. The bulk of um, BitDAO is a stable coin. Many of this, if we think about this, these guys and their treasury, and and we see the fact that they they are hedging against very, they are hedging against all this um, um, asset that have that are easily prone to volatility. They are in a more healthy position. So we want to. I, I just feel like as as we grow, people should think about less volatility because you get to a point where you are no longer. There's a certain amount of money you have, and you're no longer thinking about making more money. You just want to not lose money. So that is what Dao should be thinking about. So that is my opinion. I, I think your point about the versus kind of a, a bull market, bear market in terms of kind of treasury swaps uh, between protocols. And I, I think treasury swaps in themselves are, are a little bit of an odd thing. I think there's one part of it with kind of just in the past year, the, the first examples, when you think of treasury swap, most of them, most of the protocols that were that were swapping treasuries, while it might have been under the guise of kind of diversification of the treasury, I think a lot of it was how generating more yield on, on other assets or some sort of um, gauged weight voting where they were using these tokens to for, for bribe voting, where the kind of the incentives of the token holders, the, the token holders in, in most cases don't actually have a claim on the treasury. Most of these DeFi protocols, it's not a very efficient system where, oh, if it's trading below the treasury, we'll do some sort of buyback or uh, above it's at a discount or a premium. And I, I think in, in reality, most of these kind of token swaps were, if you're a token holder, 
it's not even necessarily geared towards a token holder, but being able to boost the yield that you're providing on these different protocols where you then kind of down the line, you have the uh, secondary effects of, of increasing the liquidity and the, and the TVL and you see other health metrics go up, but outside of kind of just uh, US, uh, dollars or a stablecoin equivalent, and, and maybe there's an argument for, for Bitcoin not being a correlated asset. I think there's, it's a hard argument to make that a lot of these treasury swaps between protocols actually kind of in line the incentives or really was skin in the game where I think th that's where you see a lot of that inefficiency and why it was so prevalent uh, in, in a bull market is due to the fact that everyone was trying to juice these yields and, and figure out different ways to do that, um, where I think that's an, a component to consider when, when you're talking about swaps between protocols and their treasury management. Yeah, I really like uh, what you were saying, Caro, about blockchain assets as well. Um, I think that's something we're going to see more of once the legal structures get more defined. Um, right now, I think a lot of DAOs are are kind of scared of the regulatory environment, um, and I think they're a little hesitant to, to go beyond kind of the Play-Doh money in, in some sense. Um, I do think that when we talk about DAO treasury management, it's... A little, it's certainly different, like Mike was saying, than traditional treasury management. I think you have a whole other um, issue to deal with in that you have the token supply, which is much more liquid than like stocks or um, private ownership of a company, right? Like that is your primary asset. So looking at capital allocation and uh, being efficient with your token supply and how you're allocating that token supply is kind of a new, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a new framework for treasury management that I don't think has been optimized much at all. Uh, and I think we're, we're very early in kind of seeing how liquidity is managed moving forward in terms of native liquidity, um, what that looks like in terms of token swaps. Like that's clearly part of it. If all your capital is wrapped up in your native token, you're going to try and diversify by, by trading with other DAOs who are willing to do so with uh, their most, you know, voluminous asset as well. So, I'm just kind of curious to see as we move through the bear market um, and come into the next bull, how we look at token supply and how DAOs are either uh, more stingy or more liberal with what they're holding. What do you think about the, there was a while back, uh, probably more than a year ago at this point, like a year in proposal, there was something along the lines of like buy the land, you know, like, McDonald's is really a real estate company or, or something along those lines. So how, do you, how do you feel about like, oh, if you're a protocol on ETH, your credibly neutral asset is Ethereum, right? If you're a protocol, I understand this doesn't hedge you against like the USD risk, but as just a, a you know, super crypto actually, maybe it is actually more true to form if like protocols on Solana like just don't accrue revenue to the token. They accrue revenue in Solana, and then, you know, as Aiden said, they become more sophisticated about the relationship between their token and their treasury. And then, you know, they don't necessarily have to be so active about the token. The token can dissociate some way and maybe create cleaner governance incentives as well. But, the, you know, you're on Solana, so screw it. We're just going to try to get Solana. The same way, like, the point of Apple is to make dollars, right? The point of Berkshire is to make dollars, right? Because they're on the dollar network, right? That's their blockchain is, is the dollar system. So what do you think about just like 
let's be crypto purist and let's just denominate in the native asset. And then you could even think deployment wise, right? Like if Yearn deploys on Phantom, it'd be kind of cool if like the Yearn Phantom deployment really just tried to acquire a lot of Phantom and the Yearn ETH deployment really tried to acquire a lot of ETH. It's like going to another like domain of operation and like it aligning those incentives with the base layer. Because in theory, the base layer is, is like a credibly neutral asset as well. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I think this is where the management part of it comes in, right? Like, what is our roadmap and, uh, or sorry, what is our runway that we're trying to build? Is it four years? Make sure you have that in a more stable asset that you're willing to, to hold when the ship goes down. And then like, what is your strategic outlook to building your, you know, <laughs> liquidity silk road, for lack of a better term, to move to different chains um, and kind of expand your ecosystem? So I think it just it just comes down to getting the right people um, in place to make those decisions and, and kind of see the whole big picture. Because right now, even a lot of the, you know, service providers coming in and, and doing DAO treasury diversification management, they're taking, you know, a percentage of yield off of what they get. Um, from managing these treasury assets, which in my opinion is a complete misincentive um, to be managing a whole treasury. And I think we're going to see that change as well uh, through the bear. Okay, so just like I said before, I don't have excellent expertise in this, so I'm not having any strong opinions. But this is me giving an advice. So if you're building a protocol, please don't don't have a fixed supply. You know, don't cap your supply. Just you, you want to make money, you're not Bitcoin. Don't don't set 21 million XXX tokens. No, don't do that. You are never going to have the kind of your token will never be worth sixty nine thousand dollars. That is just a fact. And maybe maybe in some alternate universities with an alternate um universe with max um inflation, your token will be worth sixty nine thousand dollars at peak. That probably happened good for you. But the fact is, um, my advice for you if you are building a protocol, don't cap your supply. Um, you probably want to set up a you probably want to set up a, a system where tokens get um minted, um, maybe some maybe when some certain parameters kick in or maybe after a certain number of years or after a certain number of months or maybe based on uh, activity around your um, protocol goals, that's what you want to look out for. But what you should look out for, in my opinion, is build, as, um, build a war chest, have as much stable asset as you can gather. If you want to gather you know, a base asset like it, because it is an operating system, a lot of applications we built on it which makes which, man, the more applications the more value it has and if you want to gather it then good gather it if you want to gather USD, then do that but then your token should be something you you means whenever you need money like at the very um in a situation where you are you are maybe you are pushed to the wall and you really really need to do this then you should means tokens but never say you are going to cap your supply. That is not a smart thing. That, in my opinion, that is not a smart thing to do because um, we've seen many times that um, supply and demand don't really, the fundamentals don't really matter in a very in a bull market. That is a fact. So supply and demand don't really don't really kick in. 
supply and demand things in a beer market and you want to be ready for beer market so in the bull market if you have any amount of token out there it's going to appreciate and when it does appreciate you can always sell it for um, a more stable asset and build your treasury Let's shift real quickly, um, speaking on the topic of incentivizing contributors. I know, Trevor, you put a, a point on vote escrow tokenomics and revenue sharing. Um, you asked the question, is this the new default tokenomics for bootstrapped DeFi protocols? And do you have any good examples for us? Trevor, you're muted. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think we've this this question kind of comes from Carl and I uh, working on governor and tracking what seems like a always growing uh, list of DAOs that are adopting the tokenomics. So we've seen this from Balancer, uh, Redacted Cartel. Um, Goldfinch most recently, um, and it really seems to be kind of the the new the new uh, you know gold standard for for tokenomics. So I just kind of wanted to hear what everyone's thoughts were on that, um, what their thoughts were on kind of like the base plate thesis of incentivizing other DAOs to come and and have a stake in your token emissions um, and and revenue sharing and what that creates for token holders. I'll, uh, I'll come through here with the hot takes. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not huge onto the onto the VE model. I, I think like this comes back to kind of a running conversation that's been happening across a couple of these a uh, couple of these happy hours, and just I, I hope the conversation picks up more steam in crypto Twitter as well. But it's really really hard to defend a moat in crypto, and I think because of how technically high the barrier is because how niche we are because how inefficient it is there's a lot of protocols that can currently extract a fee from their protocol or from their users that are not going to be able to once you like grow and mature and hit a more steady state crypto economy i think at that point like why you know this is this is why uniswap is let's be real like the penultimate decks right is because they don't extract that heavy fee from from people doing swaps just to pump uni token they can offer fees at essentially bare minimum to attract lps but no more to to rev the token so it, i'll make like the bold claim here and now like any other decks that has a fee extraction model unless they can offer meaningfully more liquid swaps than uniswap i don't see them being able to compete and then, you know, if you're offering more liquid swaps than Uniswap, more concentrated or capital efficient liquidity, what's stopping someone from forking you and, and putting zero fees on it? So I think the VE model is a death wish. I, I think it builds wonderful flywheels. It builds great pumpamentals and, and all that kind of stuff. Like good token, bad protocol is, is my mindset on that. And I think in the end, you know, I, I, I choose to believe that good protocols will win out even on top of good, to even against like good tokenomics. So 
I uh, I am not not at all a, a fan of the VE model because it I think it builds it inbakes inefficiencies into your protocol. It lowers your ability to compete. I really want to hear Adam's view on this because I think he has a lot of knowledge on this. So if share my please, Adam, see say something. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say I have necessarily that strong of a view on the topic, but I definitely think it's it feels like in terms of kind of what the model of success that we're basing it on, it's difficult to say kind of has the VE model contributed to the success of X, Y, or Z project when you, there's a lot of other, uh, it's difficult to look at these projects in a, in a vacuum to say that these are, are good. This is like a long-term fundamentally good thing. Um, I think in a lot of ways, what it provides a good short-term kind of placeholder or, or a band-aid that can that can prop up products, and I think maybe part of that is is it's not necessarily great for a project to do after it's kind of reached a, a certain level of maturity, but in itself is a bootstrapping mechanism. Uh, I think kind of being able to have those initial commitments and maybe. It depends on what you you want to limit your your max commitment, whether it's kind of four years or you want to reduce that time scale where you can revisit the the governance part of it. But I, I also think it's interesting just to have the the governance tied so closely to the the tokenomics of a project. I think also adds a little bit of noise to really uh, providing a strong analysis on whether this is a a useful or a, a long term beneficial thing. And also uh, just because it has become so trendy. I, I think there, there's not a lot of, of people speaking to the kind of the counter arguments around it and other possible solutions or, or replacements for the model. I, th- I think that's a really good point about like the price creating like false signal, right? Like how, how interesting is it as a protocol to like not design a good protocol, but design wonderful tokenomics and the price is mooning, you're paying people out, dev team's happy, VC's happy, everybody's everybody's having a grand old time, right? And then, you know, the bear market comes and you realize, oh no, like one, reflexivity always works both ways. And then two, you know, you've tricked yourself into thinking you were doing a, a good job the whole time. So, you know, not not to pick on people because I, I like go back and forth on my long-term opinions on, on Ohm, but you know, this is almost the picturesque, right? They basically built a protocol that like hold an LP. That's that's what it does really. It's like it either holds the Ohm die LP or it holds some Olympus Pro LP. It's, you know, it's bag holding as a service, whether it's their own bags or someone else's bags. And they, they built just insanely good uh, tokenomics. But, you know, reflexivity goes both ways. And now you've built good tokenomics on top of, I'll leave the debate out, but what the market is treating right now as a, as a bad project. So it, it is a very noisy signal. And I think you can always revamp tokenomics. You cannot always revamp like a protocol. So. Um, the V model wants to, the V model wants to, wants to, um, it wants to reward people who are the, uh, who have committed, you know, long term with a protocol, right? And, and quite frankly, I can't think about an alternative to to the V model if if that's what you if that's what you want to optimize for as a protocol, because you are, you except you want to introduce something like safe mode economics to your protocol, 
and um, just, you know, just safe muning everybody that is holding your token so they can continue to um, vote for the benefit of your protocol development or or one way, one, one way or the other. There's really any other incentive for you to know who should be earning tokens besides those that are committed for the long term. So, so that's where the way V works. That's where it drives. So, so when when so when when you talk about um, V model being like a dead wish for most protocol, I'm wondering like, okay, what is the alternative, Michael? <laughs> because that is the that is what I want to hear. Like, what is the alternative? I, I think my alternative here is to build a, a good protocol with a, a defensible mode. So I think one, as far as time blocks are concerned, um, a more strong language here, but I, I personally think it's insane. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, are you time locking for four years in the most rapidly developing, changing, growing ecosystem in the world? Right? Like, when did NFTs pop off? When did DeFi Summer pop off? All of a sudden, we've got cosmos chains and then now we're doing soulbound nfts and social graphs and perps or tokenize this and that one i just think any four-year lockup is just crazy i, I think it's god awful risk management <laughs> to be honest with you I'd, I'd way rather see vcs take that risk than you know a retailer or something like that that's that's really where it comes in but um back to like the actual tokenomics alternative to ve build a protocol with a defensible moat right maker having sufficient brand and, and, you know, systems to like lend against real world assets, that's a moat. So it makes sense for them to accrue value back to the token through maker buybacks. Yearn having a Lindy flywheel effect of aggregating brain power for strategies. And, you know, sometimes the yield is good. Sometimes it's not as good, but being able to get reasonably consistent yield on billions of dollars with updated strategies and risk managed and monitored strategies, that's a defensible moat, right? But Uniswap's moat is that their is that their fees are are absolutely minimized, right? So I, I think again the solution to tokenomics is just build a good protocol and let's all worry about tokenomics a little further down the road. Um okay. First um full disclosure, I own Wi Fi. So uh I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of Yen. Like I'm a big supporter of Andre. As a matter of fact, I mean, when I was getting into, <clears throat> when I was getting into crypto and and I decided to invest my heart in money in anything that was in Bitcoin, the first thing I was looking out for was who are the biggest names here. And I read about Andre and I started buying anything that had Andre in it. So that was how I became a big holder of FM and Yen. But my Wi-Fi holding is not looking good right now. And Wi-Fi doesn't have, right now, it doesn't have, it, it really doesn't have the best yield. Let's just be honest. Sorry, Wi-Fi. Sorry, Bantek, if you are listening to this. But the truth is that I don't know when they are going to release the V2 and migrate to the V2. Maybe that's when it's going to be good. I don't know. If that happens, excellent. Um, I just saw a proposal where um, Alchemics were already setting up votes for Eve. And that means they were using yeah, Wi-Fi um, yen before. Now they are going to be using Eve. So that means they agree with me. They are not the, I'm not the only one holding that opinion. Um, back to the 
back to the point about tokenomics, um, if we really want to build a protocol, a good protocol that is having all the modes, um, then we'll probably build a protocol that has no governance. We'll probably be talking about liquidity because, and if we talk about a protocol like liquidity that is immutable, then we'll also be talking about locking your your tokens, but then you can unlock it anytime you want. So if it's not, if it's not, even though you are not locking your, your LUSD in the stability pool for um, four years, you can lock it for any time you like and you could unlock anytime you like. Now, back to protocols that require you to lock for four years. Now, um, for Curve, let's not forget that the idea of um, you locking your tokens for four years, you could actually get more tokens that will surpass the number of tokens you've locked and those tokens are liquid. So the risk aspect kind of balances out if you think of it. Why it balances out because um, people who, who who had very strong conviction on Bitcoins and they've held the, and those who are wheels of Bitcoin right now, they've held for more than four years. So if I was going to get into Curve, it's because I have conviction in Curve and then I'm going to OCRB. Now the Convex came and it gave me an alternative to have my locked up Curve to be liquid. And there are a lot of V models who are going to come up tomorrow, not just today, and they will not have the alternative of convex because probably many people will not care about it. So in terms of in terms of V tokens, there's really there's really no no um alternative to locking if we think about it really because the only way you want to show conviction for supporting any protocol at all is for you to lock your asset and tell me that you are going to be paying attention to this asset because wherever your treasures is, that's where your mind is. So locking will always be part of a tokenomics that really works. Because if you are going to have a tokenomics that is um, different from that, then um, I don't know how we want to avoid whales in the long term because we don't want a token that has maybe um, 100 million supply at the end of the day, we are distributing it to only five people that doesn't that will probably just dump it into the market at any time if you like it. We want to know that we are we are distributing the tokens to the people who have the strongest conviction, who believe in the protocol to lock their tokens and hold for um, you know for a long period of time. So maybe there will be maybe there will be a lot of designs like there was this I, I, I can't remember the name of the of the guys right now, but I think it was, they called it the RE model, um, Dimebo something. It's, it's, it was supposed to be designed to have both log future and voting power kind of, um, voting power should be independent from the locking, um, the locking future. I don't know how they were designing it. I can't remember. I don't know if they went out with the looking design, but maybe with people who, who are thinking about ways to disrupt the industry, um, beside the VE model, and when those people come up with those excellent and great ideas, who we'll have a lot of we we'll have a lot of adopters, but it's going to take probably another year because even even right now V model has been on for a long time, but we only it's only recently we started seeing a lot of adopters, and they're adopting it because they see that it works. So maybe if another protocol comes up with the economics that people think 
works, then in two years from now, we begin to see that becoming the trend. But if that doesn't happen right now, I'm sorry, Michael, but right now the best model is actually rich. I'll just say uh, one last one last piece here. Um, I think that I, I lean towards I lean towards Mike for sure on this. Uh, although I do have nothing against VBAL tokenomics, um, I think tokenomics are just really kind of pushing the edge of uh, incentive structure, and we're going to continue to see more innovations, and something else is going to be sexier in six months than it is now. Um, I, I think, to kind of Mike's point, looking at uh, brand and a moat, in my mind, security is kind of the only moat, and security is brand. So I think, you know, the protocols that have the best security uh, will inherit the best brand and will inherit the market share at the end of the day. Um, but this was a great chat. Thanks, guys. Gentlemen, thank you. Um, for everybody listening, we will be back, not next Wednesday, but the week after. That would be July the 6th, um, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern. A special thank you to, to Mike, Caro, Aiden, and Trevor for this discussion, and we'll catch you next time.